thank you for coming and uh, welcome to this uh, first in the series of four debates to celebrate and launch the new economy of art, which some of you will hopefully have had a chance to see outside. Uh, the New Economy of Art is a new publication on the systems of value and money in the contemporary visual arts, and it's published by ArtQuest and DAX. My name is Russell Martin. I'm the program manager of ArtQuest. I'll be chairing this evening's uh, debate. Uh, but first, just a little bit more about the book, in case any of you haven't had the chance to see it yet. Uh, the New Economy of Art presents a series of different perspectives from artists, economists, critics, academics, art dealers, and curators on the UK art world. It explores and describes some of the financial and business models adopted in both the public and private sectors and their impact on individual artists and their work. As well as the articles, the book also contains interventions by artists Sonia Boyce, Jeremy Deller and Barbara Steveni that further explore its themes. Uh, this debate, as I said before, also celebrates the book's publication today and uh, as attendees tonight, you can purchase a copy at the special price of £9.99 uh, reg reg uh, regular price, fourteen ninety nine. So it's like getting your debate ticket for free if you buy a copy. And remember, everyone, Christmas is coming. And think <laughs> how happy everyone will be to open up a copy of that book. Um, so uh, to explore some of the issues in the book uh, a little bit further, we've organized this series of four debates, which run once a month until March next year. Uh, although I'd like to ask you now to make sure that your mobile phones are on silent, uh, we would like to encourage you to interact on social networks and to tweet uh, using the hashtag ArtistsWorth, which is also on the, the banners at each side. Uh, and colleagues, at, colleagues from ArtQuest and DAX will also be live tweeting from the event. And we're also recording, which is why we have these lapel mics, even though we don't sound any louder. Uh, these are just for recording. If at any stage you can't hear us, if we're talking too quietly, then just let us know and we'll speak up a bit. So the motion of the first debate is going to art school is a terrible way to learn about being an artist. Uh, it's been a bit of a coincidence that over the last few weeks there's been a, quite a focus on art schools in the, the media with the Financial Times article picking up on a number of the issues that were raised in a recent BBC Radio 4 broadcast called Arts, Art School Smart School. Uh, but more widely there have been discussions around the impact that massively increased student debt from tuition fees and living costs might be having an art school enrolment and diversity, but fading memories that it was the government's 100% cut on the block grant to arts and humanities subjects and raising the cap on tuition fees that enabled and encouraged this. There's also been discussion about the inevitable focus that art schools have been putting on supporting employability and ent entrepreneurialism for their graduates in response to these unprecedented economic circumstances. Recent mergers of art schools into universities, with University of the Arts London, where ArtQuest is based, and University of the Creative Arts being quite good recent examples, along with increasing income from research sources, sources that's led to the perception that art school education is becoming increasingly academic rather than vocational or practical. I'd quite like this debate to focus on the core question, specifically around uh, the necessity, purpose, and function of art school education in training a new generation of artists and focus a little bit less on some of those other ancillary topics, although I'm sure we'll be sidetracked into many of them. Um, so, and when we finish, you'll notice on your seats there's a piece of red card and a piece of green card, and we'll have a quick straw poll at the end as to who has won the debate. 
but more about that later. So uh, just in terms of the structure for today, I'm going to invite each speaker to lay out their arguments for and against the motion for around 10 minutes each. And then we'll have some conversation amongst us and then we'll open it out to questions and points from the floor. So if you can hold on to your questions till a bit later on, that'd be great. So I'd like to first introduce Andrew Brighton on my left, uh, on my right even, your left, <laughs> uh, who'll be speaking for the motion. Andrew is formerly Senior Curator Public Events at Tate Modern and has taught at the Royal College of Art, Goldsmiths and the London Consortium, as well as published in books and journals internationally. He's also a contributing editor of Critical Quarterly and is working on a graphic novel with Catherine Brighton. Andrew. Hello. Um, thank you very much for that introduction. Thank you very much for asking me to speak tonight. I don't get out much these days. There's, uh, there's, uh, um, I've talked to a number of colleagues who I talked with and people I taught in preparation for tonight's event and they were, on the whole, very, very angry, uh, which I am. So that I'm going to read the paper tonight and try and cut down the temptation to vituperation and try to prevent, uh, present you with a set of factual considerations which will mean that you will, if you are rational persons, informed persons and capable of weighing evidence, you will vote for the motion that I am proposing or in support of uh, uh, tonight and not be misled by one's charm. <laughs> there was a time when English art schools offered a thick culture in which to be artists. Being an artist was not a role to be learned about, as tonight's proposition seems to assume. Rather, you entered a community of artists. Uh, rather, you, ed you entered a community of, uh, of artists to make art, a community that shared a thick constellation of values, concerns, and skills, often tacit and always contesting. I take art schools now to be terrible in the sense, to quote the OED, of exceedingly incompetent, of shocking poor performance. The shock in is knowing what English art schools were and seeing what they have become. The one time, uh, uh, the one time and formative principal of art at Goldsmiths, John Thompson, has said that art and design education has sold its inheritance for a mess of university pottage. This is a bit unjust. There is that which has been done to us and that we have done to ourselves. ourselves. I will start with that which we have, has been done to us. Down from up north, my art education began at the London County Council's St Martin's School of Art in 1962. Local education authorities then funded most art schools. From 1963, in the wake of the Colston Report, 29 art schools were given quasi-university status. In that, uh, they were, it was, it, it, it was quasi-university status in that they could award degree-equivalent diplomas in art and design. They had a high level of academic autonomy. The national system of validation and inspection was by peer review. It was teaching artists and designers who decided which art schools could have or could keep their diploma-giving status. But their, but their success opened the road to ruin. 
at the beginning of the 1970s. It was decided that art schools, with their charisma and degree equivalent courses, should be absorbed by the academically aspirant polytechnics. In 1972, Sir William Coldstream, Sir John Summerson and other luminaries resigned from government advisory committees in protest. The Minister of Education, Margaret Thatcher, took no heed. This led to the erosion but not the destruction of art as a particular species of higher education. The inspection by specialist panels of art and designers did help to protect art departments from unsympathetic polytechnic managers. The history of what was done to art schools now becomes part of the history of what was done to public sector higher education in general. The marketization of higher educa education is where the qualitative economy of cultural goods has been required by governments to Im imitate the quantitative production of profit. It is a cross-dressing farce of misdescriptions, spin and bad faith. For instance, while over the last 30 years art graduates have gained the status of degrees, the expenditure per student has been cut by 60%. When I was first teaching in art schools in the 1970s, there was then 10 students or less per one member of teaching staff. They are now getting on for 30 or more. In this farce, the way to solve the qualitative decline is to, re is to redefine quality. In the 1990s came the, the Quality Assurance Agency. Inspection and validation by specialists in each field was replaced by performative, uh, performance indicators applicable to all disciplines. Teaching time was eroded by requirements for quality assurance form filling. Reluctant muggins and, th in, and enthusiastic tossers were employed as form-filling deans of quality assurance or some such. The salaries would pay for two or three artists teaching part-time. Universities, universities are now Potemkin villages of managerial discourse in which the real economy of knowledge struggles for integrity. They compete by chimeric data constructed supposedly inform, to inform stakeholders, but in fact primarily to feed political fictions. Now I come to what, what, what we have done to ourselves. We, we chose to impoverish, impoverish our own discursive ecology. Back in the 1960s, to, to, to uh, uh, gain degree equivalent status as teaching qualifications, the Coldstream Diploma in Art Design introduced the obligation for academic scripts. However, it had within it an anti-academic contradiction. The requirement for what was called complementary studies denied art history the sole responsibility for lectures, seminars and written work. No one academic in discourse had ownership of art's reflective life. There was no governing discursive paradigm, only a problematic addressed in talk and practice. What should we value as art? Poets, social scientists, philosophers and other anomalies were employed in or visited art schools to add to the intellectual mulch. In the Coldstream vision, artists were reflective intellectuals rather than initiates of an academic discipline. 
in the late 1980s, the funding for higher education institutions was divided in two. They were, there was to be money for teaching and money for research. There were resources and status for art if it could configure itself as research and start awarding MPhils and PhDs. It was decided that the highest awards in art education could only be given to artwork accompanied by academically supervised and examined texts. You cannot be doctored by art alone. But what kind of academic texts? Mark Leckie, talking of his time as an undergraduate at Newcastle, reported, It was in the early 90s when critical theory swept the nation. The place was full of hippies down uh, from down south who were reading Mervyn Peake and Tolkien and suddenly they were made to read Bart and Derrida. It was like a Maoist year zero. <laughs> Theory purports to stand above and look down on the mere rationalisation of lived experience and expose its complicity in hegemonic culture. And this includes aesthetic experience. It emerged in the UK in the 1970s as a disruption of academic orthodoxy. The factors that turned theory from a disruption into an, into an academic orthodoxy in the humanities are multiple. Amongst them in art education was that it solved the Coldstream anti-academic contradiction where no discourse had ownership of art's reflective life. Theory usually banalised the contextualism, provides an accessible, research-excellent framework, submittable, omnicompetent, supervisory academic discourse that breeds by unfalsifiable elaboration. Different practices can be reduced to the same currency of reasoning. All artefacts can be read as a symptom or an index in narratives of social and ideological change. Demands of art as art scarcely register. A generation of theorised graduates have come to academic leadership, some doctored. The prospectuses for art and design courses now exhibit an unlovely coupling of management speak and theory. You get something like this. By critical reflective practice, your research outcomes will develop a professional disciplinary identity informed by debates in the creative industries context. <laughs> Rage up means I've missed a page. It is difficult to see how any thick culture can be present in art education now. I cannot see how the discussion of visual phenomenality is possible in a theorised discourse predicated on transcending lived experience. Given the cuts in tutorial context hour, hours, much of the discussion of intentions and means must be shallow. Art in its value as a problematic must disappear in explicit course and module aims, objective and assessment criteria required by quality assurance. An aesthetically blind contextualism can merely instil an ambition to figure in the text a claim for institutional recognition justified by a role played in some social ideological narrative. The loss of workshop and studio spaces certainly does not help a student gather a sense of their own project. Indeed, I'm told that students now are given to asking tutors, what do you want me to do? A question that is asked certainly at Goldsmiths in my time would probably 
be a recipe for getting yourself pushed out. I suspect the mysterious beliefs that distinguish art design graduates have become thin. Rather than university pottage, students are being fed pot noodle. If I am right, there would be a decline in art made by graduates of English art schools. What would constitute evidence of this view? An impossible project. Unless, of course, you, adapt, you adopt the kind of crass methods deployed in research audits. This I have done using the 84 artists shortlisted for the Turner Prize in the 20 years since 1995. By 2005, you would expect, could it be going back 15 years, 2005, you would expect the artists benefiting from the new research regime to emerge. But I can find no short artist, art, listed artist holding a PhD and only one with an MPhil. Furthermore, in the first 10 years, three quarters of the artists shortlisted for their contribution to British art were trained in English art schools. In the last 10, last 10 years since 2005, the number has declined to half. And as the new research regime bedded in, their average age goes up. They were survivors from previous times. These poor performance indicators evidence that terrible things have been done to art schools. Thank you. Andrew. Um, now I'd like to introduce uh, Professor Juan Cruz, who will be speaking against the motion. Uh, Juan is an artist as well as the Dean of the School of Fine Art at the Royal College of Art, a member of Tate Liverpool Council, a trustee of the John Moore's Liverpool Exhibition Trust and a board member of both the Liverpool Biennial and Pier. He was also a co-opted member of the executive of CHEED, which is the Council for Higher Education in Art and Design. So Juan. Uh, thank you for inviting me to speak at this debate, and thank you, uh, Andrew. A, a number of things I'd like to um, contest about, maybe some of the things you said, but perhaps I'll, I'll talk about, I'll, I'll, I'll read my paper first, and we can leave that for the discussion afterwards. Um, I, I, I confess I've spent most of my life in art schools, and so I have vested interest in speaking against, uh, against this motion, but anyone who's worked with me knows that I have also has taken a highly critical stance to the way in which art schools have operated and been significantly engaged in their change. Um, uh, I can. Um, the engagement that I've had in the change in art schools has been motivated by the belief that art schools have the potential to become the most significant institutions in the ecology of art, in their potential to generate new knowledge, new experience and cultural transformation. There's been much in the press since I was invited to participate in this debate. Um, this perhaps reveals some of the anxieties that may have led to the debate being instigated in the first place, and it may be useful to address some of these a bit later. I don't want to spend too long picking uh, apart the words or meaning intended in the motion, but I do think it worth considering for a moment. At, at the heart of my discomfort with it is that it seems to imply that there's a stable category, an artist, which art schools are somehow responsible to help people become, and I don't think that's the case. Uh, people, when they come to art school, have different reasons for coming. For some, historically, it's been their only access to education. I realize that's significantly challenged now by uh, the current funding situation. Others are drawn to art school because of a technical facility they want to develop, and some go there because they see it as an engaging place to be, a place for restless and inquiring minds to get together to shape the world in their own image. In fact, when people do come to art school explicitly wanting to be artists, we spend much time persuading them that what they might think they want to be is quite different from what they do need to be in order to have any relevance in the world. 
So we're not concerned with teaching people about a fixed category, but really about negotiating the understanding of a category, a way of being that is ever in flux. I also want to say something about the art school as an institutional category. I can't claim to speak for all art schools. In my experience, there's a very broad range of art schools all approaching their work in a very different way. Um, and I dare say it was always like that. I've worked myself in, in Goldsmiths. I worked for many years. Then, uh, and St. Martin's, I was working a little bit, which were very different art schools, both at the same time in London. I went to Liverpool, which had a very different context and very different kind of operation, very different attitude to what it needed to do. And then now the RCA, which is, again, uh, quite different to anything I've ever experienced um, and very different to other places. So I think, I think there's something about what we mean by the art school that, that, is, that is important. Um, and it's also important to say, perhaps, that art schools do change quite quickly. Um, so we're not, we're not talking about a fixed entity here. I think these things, these things change. The concerns expressed recently in the press have largely been about whether art schools today are still able to do the great things that they are perceived to have done in the past. Um, and it may be true that there have been great golden eras for British art schools, but there may also be a great deal of myth-making in that. Even in those golden eras, it's only ever a handful of art schools to which people refer. And even within those art schools, there must be questions as to whether what happened there was by accident or design. There was societal context, policy, leadership, inspirational tutors, dynamic students. All of these may have contributed to a perception of a golden age. Um, and I suppose in that case, it's also important to kind of note the dangers of nostalgia. Um, also around the concerns of art schools today, there seem to be very conflicting and contradictory uh, concerns. Some are worried about craft and technique not being taught in a disciplined enough way, and some are worried about curriculum becoming too bureaucratic and restrictive, and therefore mitigating against a radical, free, and permissive philosophy that once informed art school culture. There are also concerns that are really broader worries about contemporary life, culture, and education, concerns about fees, for example, or the way we live, the way or the way in which we live in a culture of accountability, where we feel human relations are being eroded by technology. This is part of the broader culture. This is not, this art schools did not cause this. Um, my own view, though, is that it might not be so much about what we teach, or indeed how we teach, but about what kind of environment we can establish for students, and indeed artists and teachers, to find their own way through a complicated world that neither we nor they fully understand. So with all these caveats in mind, perhaps the most useful thing I feel I can do um, is to speak of the practices and characteristics that are, I think, exhibited by effective art schools today and by the outcomes they generate. Uh, research. Andrew talked about research. Um, I think the art school teaches and produces knowledge. The art school engages with research within its university context, and I feel this is a positive thing. Um, much has been said about the dangers of all art becoming research, and I agree to some extent with the discomfort about making art accountable to other ways of thinking and other disciplines. But nevertheless, I think there are very significant benefits to be derived from turning practice into knowledge, both intellectually and in terms of the more significant lobbying power that it gives us. But clearly we need to be judicious about how we do this and make sure that we establish communicable research cultures that champion the methods and insights of art and their transferability. Art schools do now engage with a very wide variety of fields. At the Royal College of Art, we carry out a lot of research with health, health service providers and transport companies. In Liverpool, we work significantly with arts organisations to develop the cultural sector in the city and contribute towards its educational strategies. Research is valuable because it develops our subject and makes explicit its contribution to the broader culture and economy. And I'm not ashamed to say that I think art does that. Uh, experimentation. Uh, that art school methods remain, should remain experimental and fluid. Uh, that art school works and it should work in intelligent and critical ways and with real open-endedness. I think that regardless of the constraints on education, 
uh, financial to some extent and bureaucratic uh, on the other, and I agree with everything to some extent that Andrew said about that, there is still much scope to deliver really inventive and innovative models of education, research and practice. The, the reality around us, the, the, the bureaucratic reality is, is what it is, but it is possible uh, with intelligence and with inventiveness and with passion to work through that. Art schools have this very particular balance of the private and the public. We teach people privately to carry out work that can only really be assessed publicly or in relation to a public. And this very particular dynamic is especially effective as a methodology of inquiry and testing, in and out of visibility and in and out of the art world as well. Relevance. We cannot pretend to live in times other than the times in which we live, even if we might wish we did. Significant art practice today might be termed as post-conceptual. Fine art is a way of thinking through a practice that is developed through a range of media and means indistinguishable from those of more general economic or mass communication processes. Work, moreover, develops within a space for art that is increasingly global and fed by the circulation of artists, artworks, projects, festivals and events that develop sometimes tangential and often deep relationships to places. This calls on the art school to accept that it is no longer a small community sharing specialist skills, but an internationally connected node informed by relevant and quickly developing practice and theory. No longer a sheltered space, but one which can, really can only really survive by opening itself up to its sector and the wider world. Art schools should help artists be what they need to be today and in the future. That can mean many things, but general qualities might apply. Resourcefulness, flexibility, independence, discursiveness, the capacity to negotiate and get things done. Art schools should certainly not be in the business of helping students be artists for the past. Practically, it's impossible actively to support the many ways of working with which artists might want to engage. Artists can make work out of anything, and it's not important what they make these, that they make these things themselves. But it would be foolish not to support significant engagement with the technologies that are shaping the way we live and with the platforms through which we're increasingly communicating and expressing ourselves. That's not to say that older technology doesn't have a place or a use, but it would seem foolish for it to be at the centre of an artist's education today. Collaboration. The art school needs to maintain a strong sense of being a collaborative venture between academics, technicians, students, administrators and other people who work there in the first instance. And for that collaboration to extend to those engaged in its physical location, I think the place where art schools are is incredibly important, and its academic and artistic context. Artists, writers, curators and critics should see the art school as their natural home and feel protected as well as challenged in its environment. It should be responsive to and critical of its own community and increasingly able to move beyond the stance of self or institutional critique, moving more usefully towards an understanding and better deployment of its social and economic impact and relevance. Interestingly, I think these principles are ones that apply also to other kinds of art institutions, such as museums and galleries, those generally seen to deal with art in the real world. Good art schools uh, have never been and will never be universal. And while many institutions may not operate in the way I've outlined, there are several that do. Such art schools are, it seems to me, ideal places to learn about being an artist for today and for the future. Thank you. Thank you very much, Juan. So um, you said at the beginning of your paper that uh, you to, were to going to take issue with some of the things that Andrew said, and I, I imagine Andrew would take some issue with some of the things that you said as well. Uh, Andrew, do you want to well, like a little? Okay, all right. You can bash. have the first the first bash with a the stick then. Um, I find myself sympathising with a great deal of what um, uh, Andrew said, but but uh, but uh, I, I suppose the thing that 
there was there was some there were some details I thought were were worth correcting, and also a sense that actually um, um, to, to cast the whole you know to cast all of art school education now in in that way seems seems unreasonable. Um, I think. Um, it's interesting to note uh, the, the Turner Prize um, uh, fact. I think I think that there's something there. Elizabeth Price is a winner of the Turner Prize, who holds a PhD and has worked always in in, in art education. Um, and uh, when when we talk about the winners of the Turner Prize, th there is often a reference to the school from which they graduated. Uh, Glasgow School of Art has been incredibly successful in producing Turner Prize winners. Now, I say that, uh, I, 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 <laughs> whether for an art school to produce people who win the Turner Prize is necessarily a, 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 a kind of benefit or a source of a source of pride. I would I would I would think is 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 is, is something that, that is rather challenging uh, to state. I think some of the issues that um, that were raised around around the, the, the issues with with some art schools today and some of the kind of problems that exist maybe in 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 in, in, in art schools um, are maybe no different to the kinds of issues that exist around institutions that are not art schools, other institutions in in, in the art world. Um, and I would take issue with with the notion that um, the Turner Prize, for example, is the marker of uh, absolute kind of quality or the absolute ambition that we would want for artists in the art world. I would say there is many kind of problems with with uh, with that, and and, and potentially with the kind of restrictive nature of a prize such as the Turner Prize. Uh, so that certainly wouldn't be something that we would, uh, you know, aspire to be beyond a kind of media recognition. Well, I mean, well, I, as I explained, I was doing to the art schools what a, a crass exercise, like the kind of crass exercise that's done by um, um, uh, research audits by citations and citations are uh, have different credits according to the the supposed um, uh, significance of the journals in which one publishes and the forms one publishes so i was doing something which was crass and the idea that you could measure art education by the Turner Prize, i certainly wouldn't go on uh, as a serious idea i i would want to if i mean if i was going to do the exercise and then you'd only say, well, what does this tell us? And maybe nothing. Would you know? You'd look at the John Moores, you'd look at the Jerwood, you'd look at other open competitions and see who got listed and whether there was some correlation with various art schools, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. No, it's it's such. I I agree, except that if if that's the game you have been asked to play, that's the game. It's uh, and that we get assured that the quality of research in British universities has increased according to the government, I turn to them and say, well, here is a, a significant uh, indicator which shows that is not the case. <coughs> because, as you say, there's danger of nostalgia. And this is why I wanted very much to give hard evidence for the, for the view that I'm taking. So that, I mean, to a certain extent, you cannot dismiss as nostalgia the 60% cut in resources for, t for teaching that has taken place over the last 30 years. That's not nostalgia. That is hard-boiled fact. And, you and that impoverishment, it seems to me, to be undeniable. But then there's a way one you frame your argument, which I find, that in a way, not, not far. You talk almost like you're talking about the urgency of history, the new, now, the future, etc., etc. Now, fine, uh, the past is no guide to the future. 
But the thing is, we, we don't know the future. The idea that you design an art school for the future is like um, an investment policy for the future or something. And, the, the, and it ain't, you, you, you cannot be sure. You have to actually ask what sort of bloody future we want. The question is ethical. Because all uh, I thought, and, and, the, and, the, and I think possibly, the thing that I haven't said is that I think what has broken is that the ethical relationship, that uh, between student and staff, and maybe you can redeem it, but I would say very difficult in the kind of resources you've got with difficulty. When we, every, I called it a community that one experienced at the art school because you, you were there concerned with what constituted value in art. That was the problem, the issue which everyone was concerned with in their own practice, either if they were teaching or not teaching. And that held you together. And also, with, of course, what you argued about and fell out about, made enemies and friends about. But it was, it was a shared cultural problem. Now, how, when you, for example, have a set of courses, an undergraduate courses, which are broken up, where there are criteria for each course, which means that the question is usurped by the bureaucracy. The question of how good this module is for you is actually a, a ridiculous question. The question is, how good is the work you can produce for it? In what ways is it good? What ways does it work? Doesn't it work? Etc. Etc. So in a sense, the, the uh, paradigm of the physical sciences imposed down through modules and other systems and, 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 and quality assurance imposes a, a, a sense that at the end of the art school, you know what you're doing. I always, I think the core thing that most art school people that I know would say, the people that I admire would say, what do, do we know what we're doing? In a sense, we do not know what we're doing. And it's vital we don't know what we're doing. Because the joy of an art school is you do not know what the student will be producing at the end of the three years. And the more they surprise you, it's one of the reasons that, 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 that you, you would value them. I think at this point, I'd just like to go back to Juan to, uh, if you want to address any of that, because I heard you. I think I think, th I think there that. are a couple of things there. I think you know I, I don't disagree that there is within the education sector a huge amount of administrative bureaucracy. Now, I, however, I don't think that is necessarily a crippling uh, uh, factor. I think there are, there are different ways of dealing with that bureaucracy. I do think there are ways of. Uh, fetishizing that bureaucracy and making it appear to be a com an impediment to doing anything at all. And there are ways, quite nimbly and quite simply, of working around the bureaucracy and understanding that it's simply a kind of back room that we need to deal with in order to keep the front room. And I don't think we disagree necessarily about what the front room should look like or what the experience should look like, but I think there are ways of dealing with that back room in order to make that possible. And, and I don't disagree that that does mean additional administration. I think though there is a there is an issue. You talk about nostalgia. I think I think I, I do wonder about the nostalgia of critique, um, and I do wonder about the suspicion of uh, entrepreneurialism, as you spoke before. Um, I, I have a sense sometimes that in 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 the kind of uh, you know the, 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 this idea that we work together, student and um, um, and, and, and tutor and artist, and that we develop a kind of certain critique, a certain critique of the institution, and that we learn through that kind of critique, um, I, I I have found often to be to be mistaken. It's certainly the kind of culture and the generational uh, uh, context that I come from. It's certainly the education I have. 
but I find increasingly that it's uh, sometimes critique is, is somewhat irrelevant to students who are in art school today and that there is a concern, a much greater concern, with the kind of productivity. Uh, you know, my generation, I think, and you know, perhaps yours, you know, we went to art school, I went to art school because I, I wanted to be unemployable. I went to art school because the idea of being in the world terrified the hell out of me. I don't find that in people who are coming to art school now. There isn't that kind of disengagement from culture. Uh, people want to be effective, people want to be useful. Um, and I think this is very challenging, but it does call on different kind of models, and I, I think it does call on us to kind of rethink this idea that we're there to kind of critique the world, and we're there to help understand how we can be anti the world, uh, when in fact, you know, there's a danger that we find ourselves as kind of academics, and artists working in art schools, pushing people to fight against something they don't really want to fight against. And that, we may resent that, we may lament that, we may, you know, wish that we lived in times when we could still you know, together stand up for something and stand against something else, uh, but perhaps we just don't. And perhaps the stakes are just somewhat different. So is the nostalgia for art schools as they were also a nostalgia for the world as it was as well? And have, have things therefore moved on and art schools have to adapt because artists have, have to adapt? Well, I mean, you, you, know, you have to adapt. If, uh, I mean, if we have a, had a fascist dictatorship, we'd have to uh, uh, adapt. But so that's not really an argument. Uh, the, 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 I think the, the business of critique is interesting because I, th I, I mean, uh, as a, uh, 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 I, th I think it's critique. Critique is a very uh, inadequate uh, value. I mean, I remember there was a time when there was a sweat, roughly you know, in the nineties, where, where uh, 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 what is the criticality in your practice became a sort of tutorial uh, <laughs> cliche and I, and I think that there's a profound there was a profound there was a belief there was a belief rather than a critique which was in, in art as a concept which pointed outwards which was contested which was um, what we one was about uh, art was not as you put it in flux art was contested and the contestations took, took multiple forms but Primary, it was through practice and the comparisons of practice and discussions of practice. So, I, I'm, once again, I'm troubled with your insistence on flux rather than, uh, uh, con uh, rather than contestation, which seems to me to be, me to be important. I mean, the, the, uh, I, and I suppose I am not defending... The d I, I, what I am defending and arguing is lost is that this idea of art education as a very particular species of education, one which uh, enabled people with very different abilities to, to, to flower and, uh, and to, to contribute. And so, for example, the insistence, increased insistence on A-levels and all that stuff, where, where there is actually evidence. Uh, Brighton did, uh, did a survey of their graphic design students and the level of A levels that the students got and the level that they achieved in terms of their final degree marks were directly in disproportion, I, and not disproportion, or upside down, i.e. The, uh, the most educated people apparently that came in were the le least well-performing students in that year. And if you've taught the humanities, you, at least you know that A level is a very poor um, uh, predictor of, of actual end results. So there's that kind of closing down. So what, I, what I'm trying to describe is a very particular species 
which has been being removed or shrunk or de denuded or diminished or, uh, in, 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 the, in our cultural ecology. And while, obviously, if you're in that, and if I was in that situation, I would try to make the best of a bad job, make the best of the situation. And in a way, you're, you have the virtue of being younger than me, so you, you're, you're not mourning for what has been destroyed, rather nostalgic. You're not mourning and angry about what has been destroyed. You, you'd I'd obviously be precisely the, trying to make the best of a bad job. But making the best of a bad job shouldn't destroy the history of destruction that is the history of art education over the last 40 years. Anything to add to that or, or, any, or anything else to...? I mean, on one level, I mean, the, 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 the thing I agree with there is, is that the... Well, it's, it's complicated. The requirements now on people holding certain qualifications before they enter art education, I think, is, is, is pernicious and, 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 and at worst... Uh, you know, ha has the effect of commodifying art education into an almost kind of X-factor type audition, and I think that is, that is difficult. At the same time, thinking about it more broadly, we initiated a project in Liverpool last year uh, called Artist Teacher. There, there is a sense in which uh, the, 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 the kind of cliche, I suppose, or the, the, the assumption that one always made in art schools, that when people arrived in art schools, the first thing they needed to do was unlearn all the secondary school learning they'd ever learned before. Um, is not a terribly productive thing to do. You know, in, in a kind of age when we have diminishing resources, um, you know, surely we need to make more of the education system as a whole and try to influence things that are happening before. This, and this is, this, is, this is my point. You know, much attractive as it might be to think of art schools as a, as a kind of, uh, as, 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 a, as a bed of the radical that undoes, that unforms, that reshapes. Um, actually, uh, I, I, think, I think the stakes are, uh, to some extent, a little bit higher politically, and, and, and I wonder whether that kind of model, that sort of very radical model, is, is sustainable. Even if it's not, um, I do think that there are uh, really uh, quite uh, significant things that can be done um, around, uh, around art education. Um, so I think, I think there's, there's a role there around how, uh, you know, how we begin to kind of think about and, and it's partly around, around research, you know, if, and, and, and around the kind of, on, on some levels, yes, perhaps there's something uh, kind of to lament about the institutionalization, about the kind of growing up of art school education to some extent. Uh, on the other hand, if, if, if some of the values that, that are held in art education can begin to uh, impinge upon or impact upon secondary school education, all those things that we kind of think are other to art school education, um, I think there can only be benefits there. I think, in a sense, it's partly uh, about having the confidence to think that the values that we think are, are kind of specific and kind of dear to a, to, a, to a particular and small sector may not be only sustainable by its exception, but in fact may be transmittable uh, to a broader culture that we begin to gain something, something else. And, and in fact, it seems to me it's the only way that we can ensure some kind of survival for it. So I'm going to, uh, at this stage, open up to the floor. I hope that there's some people who've been, I see there's been some people jotting down some notes. So does anyone have any questions, points for either one of the panel members? I'm going to try and keep it as equally uh, towards each of them. Yes, Jelaine. One is the change that's happened 
both of these changes over the past 30 years. One is the change to education and what is understood about education. Gramsci wrote a fantastic essay in the 1930s on education where he talked about uh, the demise of uh, Greek and Latin and classical education um, and the rise of the kind of vocational and instrumentalized education. And I wondered if you could reflect on what I think has been a shift in the notion of what constitutes education to something which is somehow equipping you, tooling you with some critical faculties to an idea of education as, a, as, a, as something which is preparing you for a vocation, for a career, for a, a, a productive life outside of the mm. academy. And the other big shift, which I don't, which is sort of sublimated in what you're talking about, but which you've not really articulated, is what's happened in the art world over the last 30 years. Mm. Namely, the fact that it's become a multi-billion pound industry, and yet the median wage for an artist in the UK is £10,000, and yet there are examples, role models for many uh, art student, art school students, of phenomenally successful and wealthy artists, and an industry, in fact, which did not exist in the same way 30 years unfortunately. In fact, it's a global, a globalised industry. How is that, how do those things impact on your positions? So, uh, because we didn't record you saying that, I'm just going to repeat it very slightly into my <laughs> microphone. <laughs> but do correct me if I'm wrong, because I think you might have lost me a little bit on that first part of your question. What's two, your favourite colour? Two yeah, the first part was, what was your favourite colour? No. <laughs> the first part was to comment on the shift from uh, the shift in education, from education as a kind of a, a means unto itself, almost towards something that's more vocational, and the second part was uh, how um, I suppose how our education is uh, interact with or relates to the art economy, which has changed hugely over the last thirty years. Okay, so maybe we go to Juan first for that. Ah, Christ. Um, <laughs> Well, I mean, I, th I think the shift in education is interesting. The, the, the place where I work now, the Royal College, started in 1837 as a national school of design, which was set up by the government uh, to make sure that uh, our designers would, would produce products that were competitive on an international market. So in a sense, our origins are incredibly kind of instrumental and vocational, and, and the college has been through many, many changes. And actually, most of the art schools, mechanics institutes that, 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 that arose in, 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 in the sort of, you know, uh, Mid nineteenth century, whether it's kind of Liverpool or Manchester, we would would have been set up with that with that with that purpose. And Liverpool, you know, the the School of Art and Design was set up to, to, to train people in in designing ships. Um, so in a sense, you know, th th that that pragmatism is there, and I get I guess things have kind of shifted back and forth. Um, I I I have a sense now that um, I, I I find it I, I I can't think of art school being a vocational education. It links to your other your other your other point. I mean, I think that. Uh, you know, while, while we do need to think about what artists and, and what students are going to do when, when they emerge from art school and we do need to think about what they do, we need, do need to think about their, their careers, you know, we're, we're not in the business of training them uh, to perform in the market. I'm, you know, that, that's just not something I can say that, that either I have any personal enthusiasm for or that I think we kind of focus on um, you know, in, 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 in the institutions where I've worked. I think it's more important to help people understand 
uh, critically what it is that the market does, what it is that the context into which they're going to uh, emerge uh, is. Um, but to do that quite broadly, I mean, I think, I think yes, I think it's, so it's important for an artist to think now about, about the market. But of course, it's also important to think, you know, you know we live in a, you know, we, we operate in a small island in the North Sea and, and, and you know, you only need to look a, bit, a little bit more globally to, to other places. Southern Europe, for example, has an incredibly different context in relation to the market and the kind of participation that people might have in the cultural sphere. Um, you know, whole relationships, whole kind of identifications with the state and with culture are breaking down there. So, you know, what, what, what do you do in, in, in a situation where people no longer want to use the, the museum's products or the museum services because they're just so disengaged with cultural identity that they're looking for something other? That's as important as I think it is to maybe think about, you know, an engagement with the, with, with the market. So I suppose uh, despite my kind of... Uh, 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 critique of critique, <laughs> the, 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 the kind of critical dimension to me seems incredibly important and the ability in education to, uh, certainly in art school education, to, to consider how people are thinking through things rather than you know, working towards a particular kind of artisanal kind of career, which ultimately the market tends to dictate, I think is really important. Having said that, I, I, I think, I think that, it, that is also part of an intellectual economy. Uh, and a cultural economy, and I, I do think there there are kind of ways of thinking about the kind of agency that that thinking has beyond the immediate kind of kind of market. Andrew, did you, have, did you want to come? Um, yeah. Um, well, the two things. I mean, the shift in the universities from the humanities to a more vocational thing. I, I agree with. Well, that's in a way, it, it, ours is a different. We've almost moved in the opposite direction. I mean, art grew in the. Uh, the, the, the colleges of design as a sort of cuckoo and, uh, and, and so at his own institution. They appointed an artist to run it in Rothenstein bef um, in the 1920s and I think because they had an artist, art started to flourish under Rothenstein in the, in the, in the Royal College. So it's a, it's a mixed history. So I, I don't think that history is crucial to us directly but in terms of how the discursive life of art, which of course is not, is, is spread around, and, and the kind of discourse that is, is characterised humanity, it does have an influence. So th there, I think there is uh, uh, there is an issue you, you, you're pointing to. The art world, multi-million, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I, I read, looked at this book that you have published, um, the New Economy of Art, <laughs> and. and uh, I worked on a, the Gobekli inquiry into the economic situation of the visual artists in the 1970s. And reading it, I thought, a little, some of it was rather teased to me because I, it, was, it was the same. The new economy looks much like the old economy. It's bigger. Uh, it's, uh, it was always international, but now instead of being, it's called, what is called, what, what meant international then was really the major NATO countries. Global now means the BRICA countries, Western Europe and America. And so it, it says global, schnobel. This is a, when somebody's talking global economy, yeah, yeah. there's a very good book by Paul Hurst critiqu critiquing the idea of global, globality. But the other, th what I do find, and I find this in the academic texts about the art market, is that they're desperately underinformed. Because people take the auction houses and art fairs as because that's visible as the art market. The art market is something that goes place takes place in very difficult places to research, and these two journalists and academics 
are too fucking idle to do it, which is that they take place in commercial galleries. That's where bulk of the economy for, for art takes place, and there are very different sectors of that market. There is no art market, there are art markets. There is no the market, there are only markets. So, in other words, I think there are and most of us in our discussions are analytically underinformed about the economy we actually work in, in terms of, of the market. And the, I do find it's a cliche in conferences, etc., where somebody says, well, this is giving way to the market. I mean, for Christ's sake, mar and, and capitalism, markets historically precede capitalism. Markets were uh, what happens once you get beyond subsistence farming. Markets on uh, the idea of the art market is a subsistence market. If you read Brodell's account of the development of the market, one of the things he says is that modern capitalist market starts when people are dealing with goods which they never see. Well, one of the characteristics of the art market is it is about exchanging goods which people see. And in this new economy of art, somebody said, as, as if in disapproval, the art market is, is the same as it was in the 17th century. Yes, you're bloody right it is. What's the problem? Um, I mean, the, the fact that it is actually anomalous and pre-capitalist market in many respects as a, as a market type is, is not for me a problem. Anyway, so I think, yeah, we, sh uh, we should look at it, but let us not be mispersuaded by bad academic practices uh, and, uh, and lazy journalism. Uh, so I haven't answered your question, <laughs> but I hope I've, you've, I've you've not answered her question very entertainingly. I, I've com I hope I've complicated it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Uh, no, but I, I, do, I, I, mean, I, I agree. I, I think I, I, I quite often hear, and it is a kind of you know thing you hear in art schools that uh, oh the public sector is fine, but don't let in the market. Mm. And actually, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, these things are so fluid yeah, <laughs> and increasingly fluid. Who's living off general taxation? paid by people who have not their degrees nor their income, and that they are in somehow a morally superior person who, who lives by selling the work of artists. So it, when I do my thing on curatorial courses, which I never do nowadays, cause, precisely because the sort of thing I, I say, uh, uh, well, no, no, because I'm too boring. No, it, was, it's, uh, uh, it is that if you want to help artists, be a commercial gallerist. That puts money into artists' pockets to make art. Mm. Virtually nobody else does that. But, but I have to say, in the book, Andrew Wheatley's. I do actually want to move on from this because it's fast becoming a different debate. Okay. Uh, so, can we have any more uh, questions about. Uh, yes? Uh, hi, um, I was at art school in the 60s and I taught in the 70s and 80s, and therefore I'm obviously getting to condemned as a nostalgic. But actually, um, during that time, I've experienced art schools first being academized, then marketized, and now they're being corporatized. And while I disagree for the implication that art schools were so much better in the 60s and all that, and I'm not a nostalgic for the 60s, when I hear Juan arguing that the job of art schools today is to prepare artists for conditions as they are, this seems to be the complete contradiction of what art is about, because what you should be doing is preparing artists for what, how things will be. And, of course, we don't know how things will be. 
And that is where the creativity which does not exist in, in the humanities actually resides in the art schools. And by, as far as I can see, adopting this collaborationist attitude displayed by uh, people who are now obliged to succumb to running art schools, uh, you are actually not achieving the, the outcomes which uh, the current system is supposed to generate, which is the actual creativity. Hmm. And to, to my mind, until we get back, and this is, this is, this is where I, I side with Andrew, and not our nostalgia, until we actually encourage uh, a critical creativity, not this passive receptivity of the nonsense of the creative industries, you're actually going to kill the very creativity that you're set out to encourage. I'm just going to very quickly repeat that. And do, again, do correct me if, I'm, if I get this wrong. Um, so that rather than preparing artists for conditions as they are, we should be preparing artists for the, for as the things will be, and that art schools should be about generating a critical creativity rather than um, putting people into the creative industries. Yeah, I, th I, I thought yeah. quite a bit about whether I was going to talk about preparing artists for the present or the future. And, and initially in, 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 in the paper that I wrote, I talked a lot about the future, and I thought, well, this, is, this, is some, this sounds somewhat utopian simply to think about preparing people for the future because effectively we don't know what that is. And I think I said through the paper that I wanted to think about the present and the future. Um, I don't want to ignore the present because I think it's dangerous to imagine that we're thinking about people operating in, in, in times other or kind of ideologically uh, perfect. Uh, so I think it's very important that we have some relationship between what is now and what is real. Uh, whether we like it or not, we exist in certain kind of conditions and we have to live through them and students have to live through them and we have to live through them and to ignore what the present is, much as we may dislike it, I think would be, would be foolish. But I think it's absolutely true and I think I said that we need to think about, uh, you know, in our school one is always gambling. What, what do you teach? I mean, how, you know, how do you kind of prepare someone for the futurism? You don't know, you don't know what it is. You know, you, at, at best it's a kind of gamble. It's a bet on, as you say, a certain kind of discursive uh, framework that prepares people for what is, what is effectively unknown. Um, I think in terms of what you talk about, the bureaucratization, the marketization, um, yes, terrible things are happening to us. But in fact, terrible things have been happening to us throughout history. Um, if, I, you know, if, I, if you read back to the kind of reports that the government was publishing about art schools in 1937 or 1936 or even earlier, you know, terrible things have been happening to art schools uh, always. So it's not new that we're somehow uh, uh, swimming against the tide of uh, things that are being done unto us. That that's, seems to me the kind of state always of, of, of somehow institutions, and there's, there's relatively little we can do about what is done to us. I think, thought Andrew's paper was, was very good, actually, in, in, in kind of somehow distinguishing between what is done to us and what, and what we do to ourselves. I happen to think the worst thing we can do to ourselves is become victims of what is being done to us. And I see that, frankly, far too often in art schools, where people sort of imagine that because of what is happening externally, the pressures we have in terms of administration or bureaucracy, oh, well, it makes this impossible. Uh, things like the you know, research excellence framework, oh, well, we can't possibly deal with that, rather than kind of thinking, actually, the way to do this is just translate it and turn and, and, and kind of make it work for us. Because I think sometimes that pragmatism is really necessary. And without kind of maintaining some sense of, yes, we live in a world that is bad in many ways, but actually, actually, it does leave us enough space to act really effectively and I think to make art schools that are better than they've ever been. 
and I do have that kind of that that uh, enthusiasm for art schools and that kind of optimism that they can that they can be that. But it, you know, it, but it's not it's not as if it's just it just happens. I think it does take a certain kind of you know imagination, a certain optimism, a certain kind of uh, capacity uh, to to kind of work through the stuff that's happening. I think I think I think it's possible, I, and I think it's kind of I just think it's a mistake to imagine that we are that now is the first time in history when we're facing adverse uh, adverse conditions. <laughs> you know, in, in in a sense, you could argue we've got it relatively easy, particularly in this country at the moment. If you look at our kind of context now in this country compared to our context in the past thirty or forty years, and certainly if you look at what's happening in this country now compared to what's happening in the rest of Europe, not to mention uh, the rest of the world, we're in a pretty uh, halcyon state. On that note, I, I look at my watch and see that we're uh, rapidly approaching the end. Um, so what I'd like to do now is for you to get your bits of card, your red bit of card and your green bit of card. <laughs> do, you want, do you want to come back? Yes, please do. Yes. It is I'll a give reply to your question. The idea of preparing for people for how things are. Well, I don't think we even know how things are. I mean, the world is infinitely complex, and how things are is very different. And, and particularly for an artist, I mean, if you have 10, 20 collectors who buy your art, who all may be completely eccentric, uh, that is enough to sustain a career. You don't need the rest of the world to, to think. But actually, that this is, this is, this is uh, but the idea that we prepare them for the future, I think, is, is wrong. What, this is this. The question of what should I value of art, uh, as art, which I say should be the core argument around which a decent art school works, is, is, a, is, a, is a component question of, an, of another question. It's Socrates' question, which is the organi or inaugurating question for ethics. How should we live? And I think as an artist, I'm saying this is, I, 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 this is what I value. And I, and I value it because I make... I make it, and I spend my life making it, and I'm willing to go through that, whatever I have to do, to make it. That is an ethical choice, and the, the, and the, the talk of, uh, of collaboration, etc., etc., is, I'm afraid, deeply misleading. What I'm saying is that, as an artist, you have an ethical uh, obligation. And if I say that if you avoid that ethical obligation to make the work that you think is to be, should be valued, then, quite simply, you're pretty boring. Uh, in, in every likely, it's very likely that you're going to be pretty boring. Uh, and that, that ethical dilemma, I think, is what art schools should sustain, and I think that is the ethical dilemma which has been largely eroded and destroyed by the art education that we've had. So that those of you who want to vote for 60% cuts in, uh, uh, in resources, etc., etc., you will vote <laughs> for, <laughs> for what? Can I, can I just say, can I just say, you're, no one here is voting for 60% cuts in art school funding. Don't, don't worry about, about holding up any card that you want. You know, it will not directly impact art school funding. Um, but on that note, so if you agree with the motion, a reminder of the motion again, is going to art school is a terrible way to learn about being an artist. If you agree with that, hold up your green card. If you disagree with it, hold up your red card. And as you hold up your cards, I'm going to take a quick photo of you so that I can uh, decide. 
very scientifically. <laughs> Andrew, if, uh, who's one? Okay, so hold up your cards. Red to agree. Uh, green to agree, red to disagree. Okay? Okay, well, that's kind of hard to call, I think. Uh, I think I might call that for um, disagree, actually. I think that looked a little bit more red. What did you think? I'm afraid, sir. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> I like the fact that I had red. <laughs> I like the fact that I had red. I'm sorry, we can't <laughs> go into too much more, but we do have another half an hour to mingle and have drinks, so uh, maybe we can pick up on that. You can, you can buttonhole one or more of us um, afterwards. I just want to thank uh, Andrew Brighton and Juan Cruz for your uh, contributions for the debate. I also want to thank colleagues at ArtQuest and at DAX for helping organise it. The, uh, our next debate is uh, scheduled for the 13th of January on the motion Public Arts Funding Creates an Unhealthy Risk-Free Environment for Artists, which another, you know, really easy topic to unpick. Uh, tickets will be on sale quite soon and we'll, we'll be in touch. We have all your email addresses, so we'll be in touch in, in case you're interested in that one as well. And DAX are also having another debate uh, independently on their own. Uh, at the ICA this Saturday called The Artist, The Artwork, The Guardian and The Legacy around artist estates and artist legacies. That's at the ICA on Saturday at 2 o'clock and there's tickets available through the ICA website. Um, so as I say, we do now have time, another half an hour or so for some more drinks. Do talk amongst yourselves, talk to us, ask further questions and look forward to seeing you next time. Thank you very much. <laughs>